Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening. And now on to today's show. Welcome to the latest in our Asia Talks podcast series. We are featuring a variety of different topics that are currently trending in regulation. And we now explore new fund vehicles for private assets with a spotlight on Asia. Introducing the topic is HSBC Security Services, Senior Product Manager for Global Trustee and Fiduciary Services, Very Sandeman. Very, over to you. Thanks, Gabriella. Now, our listeners may be aware that we recently issued an article called A Global Guide to New Fund Vehicles for Private Assets. And in this, I explored some of the new or amended fund vehicles and regulatory regimes that have emerged in the previous two or three years, which are geared towards private asset classes. In particular, this focused on those in Hong Kong, Singapore, Ireland, the UK and the EU. With recent podcasts on the EU LTIF and UK LTAF, we're going to shine the spotlight more on Asia today. To help me bring the article to life, I'm delighted to be joined by my HSBC Security Services colleagues, Ganesh Valakati, Director of Product Management for Regulation, and Mira Judeja from Global Business Development Alternative Investments. A very warm welcome to you both, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Barry. Thanks very much. So Mira, can you help me set the scene first, please? In the article, I noted that Prequin, the market research firm, is forecasting that assets under management and alternatives, including both private assets and hedge funds, will almost double to 23 trillion US dollars by 2026. What factors do you see as being behind this anticipated increase, Mira? So private asset funds, which refers to private debt, private equity, real estate and infrastructure, are extremely popular with fund managers and investors, essentially because these funds are used to diversify portfolios with the aim of risk reduction. So private asset funds also tend to generate higher yields, especially when traditional asset classes have been impacted by economic pressures and historically low interest rates, and private assets tend to be uncorrelated to these headline risks. They can be relatively versatile during economic conditions, and some private asset classes can be more versatile against inflation, for example. Private asset funds also utilize investments over a longer time frame, which offers improved resilience to short-term market shocks and volatile periods. So essentially what this means is managers are in control of assets over a longer period of time and have the flexibility to adapt their strategy for different market environments, which therefore can generate high returns. Additionally, for private debt, for example, managers have proprietary insight over investments in their portfolio, which is reflected in the way deals are structured. So certain terms are included within the loans, for example. There are also long-term private asset investments incentivized by some governments, including the UK and Singapore, which we've seen to aid post-pandemic economic recovery and assist with funding of technological advances and to achieve climate goals. And another factor is this aim of retailization of alternative asset classes, which refers to the diversification of portfolios of retail investors and to match up long-term capital demands with retirement savings timeframes. Thanks for explaining the reasons behind the increase, Mira. And obviously, it can be more efficient for both cost and scalability to pool assets when pursuing private asset strategies. 
Mira, when asset managers are deciding on their distribution approach, what are some of the important considerations when it comes to fund vehicle and location? So a major consideration is, of course, the domicile of the vehicle and the associated expertise for these asset types in the country. The most popular domiciles have become so due to the long-standing establishment of private asset funds and knowledge. So Luxembourg Island, UK, for example, and of course in Asia, where Singapore is growing as a private assets hub. The location, preference and profile of the target investors is also a consideration. So whether fund managers are targeting retail or institutional investors and the cross-border marketing potential. Flexibility of the regulatory framework for the vehicle setup costs and tax regime can also heavily influence managers. So some jurisdictions may offer tax incentives and efficiencies for particular vehicles to increase the domicile's attractiveness. And the most popular domiciles have favorable tax treatment and ease of entry by avoiding unnecessary complex or burdensome regulations. So to give give an example, Luxembourg, um, managers are favoring the RAFE structure due to speed and ease of setup. And RAFE structures aren't subject to the CSSF product approval, unlike other structures. In Singapore, the VCC structure, which came into inception in January 2020, has become extremely popular, again, due to its flexibility and tax efficiency, which I know Ganesh will explain shortly. And finally, other factors such as whether the vehicle is, for example, open-ended or closed-ended is also important. And this may be guided by the number, number and the types of investors and the desired liquidity and liability. Thanks, Mira. Some important points for managers to consider then. And Ganesh, now looking at the new or amended fund vehicles and regimes, and as I mentioned earlier, I want to focus in on Asia today. So turning to Hong Kong first, are you able to give us a quick overview of the changes for the limited partnership fund, the LPF? Thanks, Fairy. Um, and uh, you know, just to sort of lay down the background around around the LPF regime, the Hong Kong Legislative Council uh, passed the LPF bill uh, in July 2020 and became effective the next month, uh, and effectively allowed funds to be set up as Hong Kong registered uh, limited partnerships. Uh, the bill does introduce a, a new registration regime for LPFs and 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 gives market players. Uh, the required flexibility in in structuring the fund vehicle and 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 the related operations. If you if you compare that against the older LPO regime, um, where onshore funds could est- could be established only in the form of a unit trust or an open-ended fund company, uh, these uh, that the older LPO regime did not uh, was not preferred by. Uh, you know, by managers as a as a uh, as a vehicle for some of the strategies that they adopt, including uh, private equity, venture capital, real estate, infrastructure, etc. And for this reason, it had become the norm for uh, Hong Kong-based private fund managers to set up funds in offshore jurisdictions like the Cayman Islands or the or or, or BVI. So coming to the Hong Kong Limited Partnership Fund, it is it is uh, very similar to what managers would find in in the offshore uh, limited partnership fund vehicles, and broadly under the LPF, there is no regulatory approval required, no minimum capital requirements in relation to uh, the limited partners. Uh, there are no restrictions on investments. Uh, there is complete flexibility in in relation to freedom of contract, and there are uh, uh, broad safe harbor provisions as well. 
uh, in addition to this to in with the aim of attracting uh, private investments and indeed you know to facilitate the channeling of in capital into corporates uh, uh, and given the greater bay area developments you know this regime does act as um, a key medium for uh, for startups uh, you know uh, to to channel the channel the capital into the innovation and technology field especially in the gba area uh one other thing out here is to you know to encourage domiciliation in hong kong uh, there was an amendment ordinance also was passed um, uh, and which provides a mechanism for overseas funds that are established in the form of a limited partnership to redomicile into hong kong as an as an hong kong lpf under the under the new lpf regime yeah. Thanks for explaining the features there, Ganesh. What have we seen in terms of tax treatment and the overall uptake of LPF registration? Yeah, thanks, Vary, for that question. And I think when we when it comes to taxation, really there are uh, there are three main areas. Uh, one is uh, the LPF income itself, and and under the new regime. Uh, the LPF's income will be exempted from Hong Kong's profit tax if the LPF satisfies the fund's uh, profit tax exemption regime. Um, in terms of management fees, uh, subject to certain conditions, such management fees could also not be subject to Hong Kong's profit tax. And in terms of carried interest, uh, tax concessions have been provided by taxing the carried interest at 0% while excluding 100% of eligible carried interest from employment income for the calculations of salaries tax. So overall, overall, clearly, you know, the overall tax regime is, is extremely positive. And that indeed has uh, resulted in, in, in uh, the take up that we have seen. It's been quite well received with around 340 plus LPS uh, registered uh, last year. Um, and taking uh, the total number of LPFs registered at the end of 2021 to 409. Um, as an aside, uh, we also have the Hong Kong LPF Association, which was launched uh, in July last year uh, with 14 founding members. Uh, and that number has now reached 40, which again, I guess, uh, speaks for uh, the interest in the new regime that we have had uh, with, with LPFs. Yeah. It definitely seems to have been positively received then, Ganesh. And moving now to Singapore, eh, what about their variable capital company, the VCC, that has been available since 2020? What are the features of that, Ganesh? Yes, so Singapore, uh, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, actually introduced a limited partnership regime way back in 2009, uh, again, modeled on global best practices. And that uh, regime, while, while it has gained, gained traction with sponsors and investors, um, it was joined by the Singapore Variable Capital Company or the VCC in Jan 2020. Um, and and the VCC is is a corporate structure, uh, you know, um, and and simply put, it's a, it's a new entity that can serve as a structure for both open and close-ended investment funds in Singapore. Um, it's a combination of a legal entity as also a fund structure, and and really can be used for mutual funds, hedge funds, private equity, or or, or real estate funds as well. Um, under the VCC structure, there are uh, several uh, collective investment schemes can be uh, you know, established either as a standalone or a, or an umbrella entity with sub funds. Um, the VCC does not dictate what you can or cannot invest in, uh, and really can be used for across you know open-ended or closed-ended funds. Uh, again, you have the agility to issue and redeem investments by uh, investors and pay uh, paid dividends out of capital as well. 
uh, it delivers privacy for investors also by not requiring a public disclosure of VCC financial statements and and uh, and the investor registers as well. So thus, it's it's a it's a it's a versatile and flexible structure. And and to Mira's point earlier, uh, a key ask uh, around around flexibility you know is met by by the VCC structure. Um, again, while the scheme itself has turned out to be popular, we have had about 600 plus registrations. Uh, to further boost industry adoption of the VCC framework in Singapore, uh, the MAS also launched uh, a VCC grant scheme, whereby 70% of the expenses paid to Singapore-based providers uh, were, were covered by the scheme itself. In terms of tax, uh, we have also, again, like, like the LPF regime, we have various tax incentive schemes available to Singapore funds, which have been extended to, to the VCCs also. So the tax concessions under the 13R and 13X regimes are applicable to VCCs. Then there is the 10% uh, concessionary tax rate also under the financial sector incentive scheme. And then that has been also extended to approved fund managers, uh, you know, managing VCCs. Uh, importantly, the VCC also can take advantage of uh, the extensive double taxation treaties that Singapore has and has entered into with other countries. And lastly, you know, similar to what, what Hong Kong did, uh, overseas fund managers can re-domicile comparably structured investment funds uh, into, into Singapore and register them as, as VCCs in Singapore. Yeah. Thanks, Ganesh. Some really appealing features there then. And at its introduction, the VCC was described as being a game changer in Singapore's drive to be an Asian hub for fund management and fund domiciliation. Have we seen this in practice, Ganesh? Absolutely very. You know, um, we, as of last I checked, it, it was around, around close to 300 Singapore-based global and regional asset managers had either you know, incorporated or re-domiciled VCCs into, into Singapore. As I mentioned, more than 600 plus VCCs have been registered till date with the PVC industry, hedge funds, uh, multifamily offices, and also traditional funds so launching funds under the VCC structure. That 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 in turn you know shows the versatility versatility of the of the structure itself, and if we do a bit of deep dive, you also see you know master feeder structures, real estate funds, infrastructure funds, uh, structures uh, facilitating asset pooling, uh, family offices, or 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 structures you know simply facilitating launch of uh, uh, simpler uh, structures versus what was possible earlier. We have seen a variety of these strategies with the VCC, and all of these actually lend a lot of credibility to the to the structure and augurs well for the you know growth of the vehicle uh, in time to come. The regulator, of course, is uh, has been seeking feedback from the broader industry, and is exploring ways to make uh, uh, make the VCC more attractive, uh, especially from a single family office uh, perspective, and 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 the VCC 2.0 might very well be in the offing soon. Uh, very. Thanks very much, Ganesh. Another very popular vehicle there, and it'd be interesting to see how it does develop. Mira and Ganesh, thank you both so much for joining me today to share your insights on private assets and the new fund vehicles and regimes that are being developed to support them in Asia. If clients would like any further information, please do reach out to your HSBC representative. Back to you. Thanks, Gabriella. Thanks so much, Very, Mira and Ganesh. This has been extremely interesting for me as well. I would like to thank you for listening to this edition in our series of Asia Talks podcasts. 
We hope that you enjoyed learning more about new fund vehicles for private assets with Spotlight specifically on Asia. Stay tuned for more from our podcast as we explore more trends in the coming weeks. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.